I V M. Before you listen to this episode of the Seen and the Unseen, I have a recommendation for you. Do check out Pulya Bazi, hosted by Saurabh Chandra and Pranay Kotesane, two really good friends of mine. Kickass podcast in Hindi. It's amazing. In 2014, when the BJP swept the general elections, commentators spoke about the Modi wave. Some people were stunned by the size of this wave, but maybe they would not have been so surprised if they'd followed the cultural, social, and political currents behind this wave. Narendra Modi's rise to power did not start in 2002 when the Gujarat riots happened, or 1992 when the Babri Masjid was demolished in Ayodhya, or even 1980 when the BJP was founded. These currents, in some form or another, go back decades if not centuries they started gathering force and were given direction around a century ago and it was such a well organized well thought out powerful force that i am surprised that we didn't have a hindu rashtra long long ago the book that i will discuss on the show today is ostensibly a book of history but it will reveal the true nature of modern india more than almost any other book you can find in the market Welcome to the Seen and the Unseen, our weekly podcast on economics, politics, and behavioral science. Please welcome your host, Amit Varma. Welcome to the Seen and the Unseen. I'm honored to have the journalist and author Akshay Mukul as my guest today, and we'll be chatting about his brilliant book, Geeta Press and the Making of Hindu India. There's been a common question asked in recent years, sometimes with genuine curiosity and sometimes with mockery. where are the intellectuals of the right wing i explored this question myself in an episode i did a few months ago called the intellectual foundations of hindutva where i chatted with akar patel who is writing a book on the hindu rashtra at the end of the episode akar and i concluded that there isn't really much there on reading akshay's book i realized that we were perhaps too glib there is an organized intellectual tradition within the hindutva movement and there has been coherence and consistency over the decades maybe people like me have discounted it because our first language is english and we don't read the hindi press and maybe we discounted it because we have such contempt for the founding principles of this tradition that we hesitate to call it intellectual either way it's our mistake and our loss without understanding these intellectual currents i don't believe we can understand india and we will continue to be surprised election after election as our elite little bubble continues to count for nothing also all our talk of getting our ideas into the culture stand for nothing if we cannot understand our culture in the first place and the forces that shaped it geeta press and the making of hindu india is an eye opening book but before i begin my conversations with akshay let's take a quick commercial break did you know that parsis in mumbai instead of being left at the tower of silence after they die are now cremated and why because a cow fell sick in the early 1990s did you know that the smog in delhi is caused by something that farmers in punjab do and that there's no way to stop them did you know that there wasn't one gas tragedy in bhopal but three one of them was seen but two were unseen did you know that many well intentioned government policies hurt the people they're supposed to help Why was demonetization a bad idea? How should GST have been implemented? Why are all our politicians so corrupt when not all of them are bad people? I'm Amit Verma and in my weekly podcast The Seen and the Unseen, I take a shot at answering all these questions and many more. I aim to go beyond the scene and show you the unseen effects of public policy and private action. 
I speak to experts on economics, political philosophy, cognitive neuroscience and constitutional law so that the insights can blow not only my mind but also yours. The Seen and the Unseen releases every Monday. So do check out the archives and follow the show at seenunseen.in. You can also subscribe to The Seen and the Unseen on whatever podcast app you happen to prefer. Akshay, welcome to The Seen and the Unseen. Thank you, Amit, for having me. Akshay, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you become a journalist? How did your journey start? Uh, I grew up in Ranchi. I'm originally from Bihar, but I grew up in Ranchi, which is now Jharkhand. Uh, so it was, uh, it's a very cosmopolitan. I grew up in an industrial township. Uh, and we grew up uh, without getting too much affected by caste or religion because, you know, for years I had Goan neighbors or Garwali neighbors because, you know, this is how industrial towns are. And uh, I studied there till my plus two, which is I did intermediate, went to Javis College there. And then I came to Delhi University where I studied history. I majored in history. And then, well, like everyone from Bihar or that part of the world, tries a hand at civil services, which I did, one attempt. And then I thought, no, that's there's something, uh, maybe I'm. it's not for me. I, I, I just couldn't clear it. I just couldn't even clear prelims. So I went for, I thought journalism, I tried journalism. I went to IMC. And then I joined and worked four places, started with Asian Age, which was just launched. And it was like talk of the town. It was one of the biggest thing to happen in the early 90s. Uh, then worked in Pioneer for three and a half years. Then it in a way changed hands. Then I moved to Hindustan Times, where I worked for exactly two years. And then Times of India, where I worked for almost 17 years. And uh, then now I've kind of quit. Now I'm off journalism. I quit in 2017. And since then I'm kind of unknown now. And, and, and what kind of journalism attracted you? Well, journalism, uh, when I'd grown up reading all kinds of uh, journalism, I'm talking of M.J. Akbar of those days, not the M.J. Akbar of now, but he was editing Telegraph. And growing up in Ranchi, and Telegraph was launched, and it was in the paper in Ranchi always, normally comes in the evening. Uh, but one waited for that paper. One even waited for Indian Express or Times of India, which all came in the evening because there were no Patna editions, no other editions. So Delhi edition will come by air and will come in the evening. Uh, one was really attracted to the kind of journalism which was happening those days with, uh, you know, Bhagalpur blindings happened. Arun Sori was there, MJ Akbar was there. And these were people were taking on the establishment. And uh, when I joined profession in uh, late 93, early 94, uh, these people were still there. Arun Sori was no longer working in active journalism, but uh, Akbar was. I was. I joined his paper. Other people, Chandan Mitra, other people who one had grown up reading. So there was this whole thing on this right on the genuine issues of the country, right on the politics. And it was a phase when Congress was dominating. And although it was like the fag end of Congress dominance, but still Congress was very much the dominating force. And there was this whole larger alliance of anti-Congressism happening, socialists, leftists, even BJP, all of them were coming together. So it was a very, very interesting phase when I joined um, journalism. I remember 
in 93 uh, one of the uh, this 94 in fact this uh, andhra election was taking place and this was a uh, one big election i think uh, chandrababu naidu had uh, managed to come back this it was i remember it was a big election then of course that was a phase of instability we saw governments after governments come and go from 89 onwards only 5 years of narsimara was five stable years of the 96 98 99 and then the stability now we are in a stable phase and one saw all that you know i was in ht when uh, kargil happened uh, i covered kargil in a very different way i covered post kargil i traveled i remember from meerut to teri garwal pori garwal just talking going to the families who lost the children the sons brothers you know husbands and uh, the whole futility of war what goes in the family one could see it first hand and lot more things were happening uh, in terms of religious politics because you know 92 had was very fresh 92 had happened politics had gone for a complete change mandal had happened so it was very very uh, we saw united front government uh, we saw Six years of Bajpayee um, rule, the ninety-nine, and then he again ninety-eight, uh, fourteen months, and then five years from ninety-nine to two thousand four. And I covered. I started basically as a feature writer. I was writing on arts and culture, and I must have interviewed all the writers, poets, painters you can think of, and because Pioneer was one of the only paper those days. Uh, which had a dedicated arts page five days a week, and it was very serious arts page. Very very serious people were writing. Very serious columnists were there, and uh, we we got really into the subject. So and then we had a very good weekend paper for which I wrote a lot. Then I moved to writing more and more on politics while I was still there, and uh, while I moved to HT, it was again part of the Sunday team, but it was writing more on politics, and that's where I covered. uh i had a lot of experience doing varied things for instance i uh, much before this gujarat thing i remember doing a full page on gujarat's hindutva laboratory uh and they were outraged that how you saying this and this was way back in 99 wow. then i did uh, on this whole how they were trying to what they're trying to do with syllabus uh ncert syllabus and i remember murli manohar joshi getting very hassled about it he was hrd minister i did a lot on i wrote on the narmada bachao andolan which was in a very crucial phase which was kind of in a way disintegrating you know it was the, that was the last rally for the valley i remember in 99 or early 2000 so uh, we did lot of interesting stuff and then i came to daily grind in times of india where i was covering Uh, political parties parliament i was doing a dedicated ministry like hrd ministry or culture ministry which gave you a ringside view of how government functions what happens how decisions are taken or not taken how made and made and parliament of course teaches you 
you see closely how legislation happens how things work how politicians how political parties come together on certain issues how so on certain issues whatever might be the rhetoric outside deep within they're all together you know so you see all those things happening very closely so it was a very very good very enriching experience and i was lucky to work with some of the very very good editors you know i worked with bharat bhushan i worked with chandan mitra I worked with uh beat sangvi for a while in hindustan times in hd i had all uh but gonkar was just kind of in the last uh days of padgonkar in, in in times of india but yeah one knew him one could always go up to him uh then we had people like siddharth vardarajan manoj joshi you know so it was a very very good later on changes happened in times of india around 2004 early 2004 because somewhere bjp i think it was a complete coup a lot of people had to move out and the people who was considered very close to the government took over but then the election they lost <laughs> and uh, and after that and one has actually i consider 2004 and 2009 actually the upa2 that's when uh, it started deteriorating and now in 2014 i was very much there when modi came to power and you could see for the first time you know you always second guessing the your boss political bosses you're thinking what was happening not happening which is not to say that it was not happening during congress regime i know of congress ministers who would constantly bazaar editors and owners saying that why my particular kind of picture gets published please ensure that it never comes out again but uh, it's become far worse now it's happening at a different level altogether I I had a young political scientist on my show a few weeks ago called Rahul Verma yeah and um, who's just written this book called Ideology and Identity and 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 uh, Rahul made the very interesting point that because he grew up essentially reading Hindi newspapers every day hmm. he got a very different view of India from what his peers have today and I'm just wondering that in your case uh, you grew up in Ranchi and obviously uh your hindi is excellent because uh, you know i mean yeah inter- my family has been a very bilingual family has been mm. a stress so that's how i got used to hindi literature i read hindi literature a lot mm. when i was growing up i continue to and i feel uh we have added this completely false uh, sense of i don't know what to call it but by you know reading hindi or reading any other language it's not about hindi reading i have telugu friends who uh, my generation who are kind of regret their children not reading i regret my daughter not reading hindi mm. as much uh i don't know maybe i tried too much maybe i didn't try enough maybe there was something wrong but i feel very bad that the children all coming up as single language mm. english speaking people so that way yes i was lucky what rahul told you he's absolutely right your your sensibilities your the way you see the world completely changes because hindi newspapers hindi literature introduce you to world which exists which we and we are not aware of you know for instance say someone reading a book like ragdarbari 
I must have read it. Uh, I think when I was just out of school or something, and uh, so nothing after that. Nothing shocks you, you know. Here yeah. you feel that okay, this is so true. He was, you know, uh, and and you realize the power of literature. Power of literature more than know, any other yeah, work of nonfiction. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It totally you know? nails it. In fact, uh, Rahul and I discuss Raghur Bari also. Yeah, but it, that's a, when you see this India that we are inhabiting now, you realize that oh. God, you know, just see this. How I, I met Sirlal Sukhla much, much later, and I, I, I just couldn't imagine. Yeah, he was a man who was um, had a great sense of humor, and and you know, I was kind of trying to ask him, what is the process? How 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 did he, he said? You know, I was just he he was an administrator, so he had seen India. I don't. I hear added perspective to how things work, what happens. So he brought everything there, and and, and nothing has changed. Yeah, this is the India of Sri Lal Sukhla yeah. Rag Darbari is not changed at all. If you ask me, nothing has changed. All of those fundamental things, the way the bureaucracy works, the way people think. It's yeah, just nothing. Flat out the same. So I I can't help but ask you that okay so you know you went to college and you did a degree in history mm. and uh, typically people of my generation and earlier generations what we did a degree on we just happened to do it it wasn't really a real interest degree karo uske baad jo karna hai karo mm-hmm. and uh, but in your case there is this interesting symmetry that you do a degree in history and you spend these decades in journalism and then you write this great book of history see my uh, I have been a kind of history junkie I have been kind of uh, I have been genuinely interested in history. And in fact, a lot of my friends who are in academics, they always joke that you know when a new book comes on history, he probably buys or reads before us, you know. Mm. So I have this. My entire money goes in books. That's all I have done in life. If someone asks me, I have done nothing but only bought books. Pretty much the same, actually. Yeah. So nothing. I have. I live behind nothing, just books. And I have been genuinely interested reading new kinds of history, what is happening worldwide, new trends. and one can see how the history writing also changed the time when i was in college to subsequently and then some books completely kind of like for instance this book that i'm talking about francis corsini's hindi public something i'm get, not getting the title right uh, and then uh, vasudha dalmia's book on nationalization of hindu tradition on banaras uh you find that this is that saying something which is first time uh, history writing or don't want to call it history don't call it it's a kind of a literary history of a different kind of things which no one bothered about your history books never told you and they're talking about creation of mindsets how mindsets became what they become you know what we are seeing now so basudha dalmias is a great book which talks of how this whole thing started in a city like banaras the role of bhartendu harishchandra francis corsini takes it even forward charu gupta comes who brings out if you ever thought that hindi literature was all about nationalism or patriotism and everything see talks of sexuality obscenity in hindi literature not literature she's even talking about journals and it's a path breaking book actually and then you grew up in a place where you see that geeta press is there all the time you know uh, in any ordinary hindu household they need not be rabidly communal or anything it's a very secular household it was coming it was coming for your grandparents someone was reading somewhere you know and if you ask anyone everyone knew about geeta press and everyone had their own story about geeta press 
So then you realize, uh, so in fact, before I started working on it, I asked, I remember Wendy Doniger, uh, that why did she never work on it? She said, well, I'm not interested uh, so much that aspect of this thing, but it's a very good idea. And just then, before that, there's another story in, called Ulrich Stark. She did a brilliant book on Naval Kisor Press mm. of Lucknow, Kanpur. And uh, it's an amazing book on the history of this press. So I kept wondering that how come there's nothing in Gita Press? Everyone reads about Gita Press. And that got me thinking, that got me inside Gita Press. And uh, I could easily relate to it. In fact, a lot of my friends, you know, in fact, Basuda also asked me this, that how could you relate to this? I could relate to it also because, as you said right in the beginning, you know, because of reading these multiple things in languages, Hindi, so, you know, that was not a kind of alien thing. I didn't have any problem uh, thinking about working on Gita Press. It was not something, you know, formidable for me. Yeah, And, and in a sense, a book is, I mean, much more than the uh, history of a printing press. It's also, to me, the history of the whole yeah. Hindutva movement. It's, in a sense, bits of it are also a very fascinating sociological study of Marwaris yeah. and how their social position yeah, changed. Absolutely. And, of course, there absolutely. were the main people behind the uh, Gita Press were Marwaris. Yeah, yeah. And I was staggered at one point when I came across these figures in your book. I'll just quote them. As of February 2014, 71.9 million copies of the Gita have been sold. Uh, this is uh, mm. Gita Press Publications. Mm. For the Ram Charit Manas and other works by Goswami Tulsidas, the figure is 70 million copies. Yeah. While 19 million copies of the Puranas, Upanishads and ancient scriptures have been sold. Then there are the tracts and monographs on the duties of ideal Hindu women and children. Of which 94.8 million copies have been sold so far. While more than 65 million copies of stories from India's mythic past, biographies of saints and devotional songs have been bought. Stop quote. And, uh, you know, you also, for example, uh, talking about every year they used to bring out these special issues yeah, voted they do, on something. Yeah, they do, yeah. And uh, talking about in 1938, they got out Manasank, which was yeah. in Manas. And there you write, quote, the very first print run was of 40,600 copies. And by late 1983, a total of 5.69 million copies had been printed, a record unparalleled in the work of Indian publishing, stop quote. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe I should be ashamed of this, but I had no idea that something so... Uh, well, if you... <laughs> see, in fact, there's a friend of mine uh, from Rachi. Uh, who grew up differently. I, that's all I tell him. I tease him. He said, how come I was not aware? Then I said, why don't you ask your parents, maybe ask your mother. Uh, she'll be aware of it. And he said, no, even she won't be aware. I said, no, try it. Then he found out that, yes, they knew somehow he was not interested. His interests lie elsewhere. So, you know, it's about... But, you know, I can safely tell you while I was working on it, there's, and I have friends across who work across professions, you know, friends who are like very in corporate world from university years. And if you tell them Gita Press, the brand recall itself told me the story that even if they don't know anything about Gita Press, they know about Gita. They know of, they've heard of Gita Press. And as far as these numbers, even I was staggered and I took it from their website. I didn't want to be kind of, uh, and their website says it. And uh, there won't be any single, in North India at least, any single in the Hindu household where, you know, even 
स्कॉलर हु किप्स अ कॉपी ऑफ से रामायण फॉर सम स्टडी और समथिंग हिल से बॉस लेट्स गेट द गीता प्रेस वर्जन इंग्लिश एज वेल एज हिंदी इवन महाभारत बिकॉज इट्स क्लीनर इट्स वेल ब्रॉट इज अ वेरी हाई प्रोडक्शन क्वालिटी ऑल द बुक्स वेरी हाई प्रोडक्शन इवन कल्याण वेरी हाई प्रोडक्शन क्वालिटी कल्याण बींग द जर्नल या मैगजीन एंड द आइडिया ऑफ ऑल्सो गिफ्टिंग रिलीजियस टेक्स इफ यू गो टू सिटी लाइक बनारस और गोरखपुर और यूल फाइंड दैट देर इज इवन डेली द डेली स्टोर इन चांदनी चौक इन दैट ओल्ड डेली सर्टन बुक्स इफ यू कॉल अप इन सेट यू हैव दिस नो इज द रन आउट ऑफ यू हैव टू वेट फॉर अ वीक एंड सो इफ कॉन्स्टेंटली सेल्स एंड देन इन रामायण देन दे हैव दिस थिंग कॉल वॉट दे कॉल गुटका विच इज बेसिकली स्मॉल अ मीनिएचर वर्जन ऑफ रामायण यू आर ऑन रोड यू कैन कैरी द फैट वॉल्यूम सू कैन रीड इट दैट इज सेल्फ सेल्स इन लैक्स एंड लैक्स एंड एंड दिस फिगर्स ऑल्सो डोंट फर्गेट वुड बी वॉट दे एक्सपोर्ट and huge diaspora population relies on they're the big clientele in this uh, diaspora population because they were the first ones to even think of i will not say first one but the early ones mm. uh, who 1934 started a english journal called kalyan kalpataru because they said well we have to do something about them and in fact in your book you've got accounts of various people both indians yeah, and non indians writing from yeah, abroad yeah non indians and, and and they were trying to track people who could write even mm. uh, non hindus great scholars yeah. of hinduism jainism they were trying to get them to write to give it that uh, kind of very eclectic feel about it Let, let's kind of uh, go back to uh, the starting of it um let's talk about sort of the impetus behind the geeta press to talk it uh, to start off and uh, in your book you mentioned that there are sort of uh, three factors and let's kind of take them one by one and the first yes. factor that you mention is the consolidation of uh, hindi uh, tell me a little bit about i mean all of us take hindi for granted like it's okay. been there forever yeah but uh, in a sense hindi was a political project of its own yeah it was because see um, this whole movement in which madan mohan malviya played a big role and 1900 which is called the mcdonnell moment which is actually not my coin is alok rai's coin is which i find absolutely brilliant coin is uh, 1900 is when the petition finally leads to something to recognize hindi and to recognize hindi as separate court language look mm-hmm. at that it was a very smart move once you change it in court subsequently it has its impact you know it's uh, it has its ripple effect and a lot of things are happening simultaneously there is the soul hindi is now finally found some place at the cost of persian then um, what happens the print technology is just coming which is slowly settling down and marwaris are investors if you find in most in north india most of the publishing houses marwaris were investing and for philanthropic reasons too and then hindi is coming so first quarter of the 20th century is kind of a golden phase of uh, this publishing and hindi journals are coming one after the other one after the other english journals are also coming like first you have this great modern review coming from calcutta ramanand chatterjee ramanand chatterjee but ramanand chatterjee was was a completely different sort of person he was also paying for bisal bharat mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so in fact, Calcutta became a big center of Hindi publishing. So you had Saraswati coming from uh, Calcutta. You had Vishal Bharat, which continued till 70s actually. And in those days, in 1930s, late 30s, he was incurring a loss of 70,000 rupees, but he was still publishing it. So what I'm trying to say is that it was a golden phase of... Now, in that, all the journals which were coming were very general in nature, mostly literary say um, Saraswati or Bisal Bharat, it will have a bit of politics, bit of literature, bit of poetry, you know, the usual, some international news, but very well brought out. Gita Press, in a way, is the first one which is exclusively devoted to religion. There were a few other attempts made. Uh, and it came also because, you know, Marwaris, there has been a churning happening within the Marwari world because there was a section which was not, kind of happy with the what the newfound wealth was doing to the community. As it is, as Goenka at one point says, we are being equated with Jews and, you know, we have this thing of us, you know, we're taking money, send, you know, lending on high rate of interest. And so there was this churning happening within and there was this, and Marwaris were known for the ostentatious display of wealth in the marriages, in various other things. So there was this two-stream, like Jamnalal Bajaj you had, G.D. Birla, who were like the moderate ones. To deal with, there were two ways, like Jamnalal Bajaj and also just stopped doing this, become Gandhian. There's this other world of Jadal Goenka, Hanuman Prashad Podar, and also the answer lies in going back to our roots and basically celebrating the Sanatan Dharma. And that you know Sanatan this is what we had a great past which was interrupted by Muslim rule and now British rule and so we have to go back to that period when we were doing extremely well in everything you know science literature and that's this whole thing Kalyan finds a place so one motive was of course the introspection for the community but there was a larger good also involved that you know the country so go back to its ancient roots. And that's when we were kind of doing very well. No, and I find it interesting that, you know, in a sense, uh, the, the political core of both the rise of Hindi and the establishment of the Gita Press and Kalyan seems to be the same, which is yeah, just harking back to a mythical yeah, past true. and leaving aside Hindustani, which is this yeah. conglomeration yeah, of yeah, Urdu yeah. and Persian yeah, 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 and whatever, yeah, yeah. and creating Hindi for the Hindus, you know, and, and really like you point out in 1877, Bhartendu Harishchandra gave yeah. this uh, speech called Hindi ki unnati par vyakhya. Yeah, vyakhya. And yeah, from there, of course, Hida is young. Yeah, he's very it, young. Yeah. It kind of becomes a political movement and it totally makes sense that then the journal which is set up really to take that politics forward beyond just the religious aspect of it yeah. is in Hindi and it all kind of seems to come together. I also found your whole account of the churn in the Marwari community uh, very interesting. For example, I'll quote again from your book. With Marwari, quote, with Marwari domination of the growth of Indian capitalism in the late 19th and early 20th century, two crucial but contradictory things happened. Stop quote. And one is because they are the trading class and they're looking for profit and all yeah. that. They become the butt of jokes like the Jews did yeah. elsewhere. Uh, and, and and the second you point out is, uh, you quote a historian who talks about their semi-involuntary upward mobility. Yeah, I know, that's a f fascinating In thing. which Vaishyas become the new Kshatriyas. Yeah. So, in fact, you know, because it was a money, cloud of money, you find that Marwadi's 
if you follow Sanatana Dharma for, for a second, for argument's sake, not that one believes in it, is that Marwaris had no business to be wearing sacred thread, right? But because of the money, you find that their entire ritual got Brahmanized. Then you find the uh, the temples, the schools, the hospitals, uh, you know, sarais, inns, whatever they were making. Everywhere started bearing plaque of wealthy Marwari who helped in building it or repairing it. It's not a phenomenon. You will not find it a single plaque, as one of my historian friends says, pre-20th century period. Marwadis were still coming up. It's only after around the first quarter of 20th century that they had to establish themselves to deal with this infamy that they were being equated with Jews. Their, you know, the money-making thing was becoming a bit of a problem for the community. And there was a churning within also. There was this whole thought process that we should do something. In fact, there is a historian. Uh, he's not a historian. He's kind of a chronicler among Marwaris called Jamini Barwa, uh, who, who did a completely, I wish someone could have just put it together in a very different way. He did a book called Main Apni Marwari Jati Se Pyar Karta and he brings up, I had to kind of really work hard to get that, all those six volumes. But he just puts together every single act of philanthropy that Marwari's did till the period that he did book and across India. So this was very, very important to Marwari's for... So that uh, whole, getting this whole Brahmanical uh, ritual in the marriages also, like a lot of my Marwari friends have told me that a lot of rituals are completely Brahmanical, which was not happening, say, back home in Rajasthan or anything. So that, that period becomes very crucial. A lot of things are happening in the Marwari world, social, business, you, you know, in their business life, in the social life. So, in fact, in your book, you talk about the philanthropy and then you say, quote, through such initiatives, Marwaris replaced the aristocracy and wealthy landlords as religious patrons yeah. and changed the Kshatriya Brahman interface of Hindu society to a Vaishya Brahman interface that eventually resulted in the Marwariization of Hinduism, stop quote. And it seems to me that what was really happening here was a marriage of convenience where the Brahmins need the patronage of the Marwaris True. and the Marwaris are buying respectability yeah, through this alliance. Absolutely, through it. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, was, it was mutual. It was, they were trying to help each other. Yeah. And, and, and Chatriyas never had that kind of, uh, you know, they didn't have, they could fight your war, they could fight your battle, but that's it. And in this age, those uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Rajput Valor yeah, is pointless. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting how the proximate impetus for the Gita Press actually comes from a sort of an argument within the Marwari community where you talk about how in the oppressive Delhi heat of March, April 1926, yeah, yeah. there's an 8th annual conference of the All India Marwari Agarbal Mahasava. And there, there's an argument between J.D. Bidla and Atmaram Khimka. Yeah, yeah. And Atmaram Khimka is talking about Sanatan Dharma. Yeah, and this is the direction we should yeah. go in. And J.D. Bidla is saying, look, this no. is not the platform for that. Yeah. If you want, why don't you do a journal? Yeah. And that's how this journal comes about. And then they have a train journey, Rotak, and they're yeah. going, and all that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's actually fascinating. You come to and, and look at this larger network of Marwadis also, how they're helping out. See, the idea takes place somewhere in, you know, what is Haryana? And Bajaj uh, Press, the family in Bombay, 
which are like the big publishers, they still apparently own the big mill land, money, the press land, because what they had from those days, they had a paper also, Bankatesh Samachar or something. And they were big publishers in those days. And he agrees to just do it for a year. Just, just take my press, do it. I think almost 14 months he did it. And meanwhile, Goenka is in Calcutta. Uh, Goenka is in Calcutta. Anuman Prasad Podar. Podar is the one who, then he moves to, after they went and moves to Gorakhpur, he moves to Gorakhpur. Yeah. Yeah. These are two of the impetuses which kind of, two of the uh, stimuli which made the Gita Press happen. One, the growth of Hindi as a political movement and then within the culture as a language that people speak and write in. And of course, this Marwari movement where they are getting more integrated into that uh, mainstream of Hinduism with, uh, mm-hmm. with the so-called, with their uh, putative alliance with the Brahmins. The, the third element that you point out is that the 1920s are a hotbed of political communalism. Yeah. Like you write about how there were 91 Hindu-Muslim riots in United Provinces between 1923 and 1927. And it's a memorable time because Savarkar's Hindutva comes yeah. out in 1923. The RSS is founded in 1925. Yeah. Um, and also, which is, you know, the Hindu Mahasabha is a very powerful party at this time, much more so than, than uh, it is today. And also within the Congress, there is a very strong stream of Hindu traditionalists yeah, like yeah. Madan Mohan Malviya. And so and who was also a member of uh, Hindu Mahasabha, you are a member yeah. of uh, Congress. Also. Founded the Banaras in yeah. the university. Just lay out that political landscape for me of the time and, and where sort of Hindu nationalism fits in. See, they, uh, I think till late 19, uh, I think somewhere till 1930s, uh, meeting of Gorakshni Sabha and Congress, Hindu Mahasabha and all the members, you could be a member of both. So Congress, when it now regrets and says, doesn't actually look back at its past, especially a very dominant class within the Congress, Nehru and Gandhi's they managed to battle this group, this dominant class within the party, but they were always there. You know, you have Malviya, you had Gosset Govindas, you had Govind Ballopant, much later, Said Govindas. So, you know, there's this whole stream of people who were very aligned to the Hindu cause. Uh, but they also knew Congress was the party which had a future. I'm talk- but I, I was fascinated by one of the nuggets in your book that uh, back in 1891, a Gaurakshani Sabha meeting took place during the Nagpur session of Congress. Ah, yeah, it, it was seen. Um, in fact, if you look at the records, I remember this one, uh, which leader it says he came out and this person who's reporting is saying he came out after giving a fiery speech in the Congress session and walked straight into the Gorakshni Sabha. What do you expect? So now when today Congress uh, says what it does, you know, they don't, they don't know about their own past. At least some of them don't. Even now, in fact, the problem of Congress is even now you have that element which exists. You know, this whole conundrum about whether to go to temple or not to go to temple. Rahul Gandhi is a Janudhari Hindu or not. Come on. So this is, this emanates from the past that they have, you know. And one and should name names in the party, in the Congress, but we know who are these leaders who are constantly pushing. So, but in fact, someone should ask Rahul Gandhi, the whole decision to be a Janao or, or this temple hopping, uh, was it something which he approved of or was someone telling him to do it? But, but I guess the, the, the thing with, for example, the so-called soft Hindutva of the Congress today is that a lot of it seems to be merely posturing. While back in the day, a yes. lot of the big leaders of the Hindu nationalists... Yeah, because they, they were very important 
leader just see the battle that nehru had to wage uh, with purushottam das tandon on cow Mm. Imagine he says I'll resign. He and only someone like Nehru who had to really believe in what he did. And, and another fight. another battle, in fact, which Nehru lost is when uh, uh, the idol of Lord Ram appears magically yeah. in uh, this thing. And Gobind Ballabh Pant is then CM of UP. Lal Bahadur Shastri is Home Minister yeah. of UP, and he tells him get the idol removed, and they ignore they, him. They ignore. Look at Rajeshwar Dayal's account when he says that nobody would listen to him. He was Home yeah. Secretary. And even in case of Podar, Podar uh, is among thousands of people. Nobody is saying whether he was directly involved or not. But yes, he was also who was suspected to have had some role in Gandhi's assassination. How on earth someone who was arrested even for few days in forty-eight, in fifty-one, will you recommend him for Bharat Ratna? Which is what the then uh, which, Home Minister, which uh, Govind Ballabh Pant did. It's unimaginable. And how could you even suggest? And then you are saying you tear off this later. That anyway was a tradition. Those everyone used to say, tell everyone tear off the later. And none of none of them did, you know. And now we come to the hero of the story, Hanuman Prasad Poddar, who is of course a cultural giant, which is yeah. why I think uh, Gobind Ballabh Pant would have wanted to give him the Bharat Ratna. But he is also somewhat like Gandhi, a figure with many internal contradictions. Yeah, yeah. He is at one level is a fascinating man. You really want to. He never went to university. He never went to. I mean, if you read his English, you is impeccable. You see his range of readings; it's impeccable. He was a fascinating editor. He was an editor who could uh, go out of the way to. If you see his letters to some of these contributors, someone teaching in Hunter College in New York, his writing and he's not. He's just he's relentless. That you have to write, and his whole knowledge about who's working on what. All over the world, it's fascinating. Even the new age sadhus who are coming up in a big way in Germany, who are teaching yoga, he's aware of all of them. He is uh, the way he gets after some purnanand. He says you have to. I'll keep the issue on hold, but you have to write, and he lets him write. And when some purnanand, as a chief minister, uh, writes something which is not to his liking, he says, "Well, we'll publish it once, but we won't want any further debate on it." And he makes it very clear. So. If you, from his point of view, he was a, he was editor of more than forty years, forty six years, forty six years. Not a and and in mind you, in between many times he'll throw tantrums, he'll leave, he'll go away, but they'll never let him go away. He became larger than life, and on top of that, he had this whole spiritual aspect to him that he had visions of God and this and that. Yeah, which was very interesting. I mean, there was this whole origin myth about how he was born. Yeah, and everything. <laughs> so he was created. So you know they. They address him in a certain way in Gorakhpur. So he's seen as an incarnation of God. I know people who I know one lady who's like now now ninety plus, coming from a very big industrialist family in Delhi, who just couldn't believe, who thought that I was doing a great work of God by writing on Gita Press, and uh, the kind of things that he had to say about uh, Podar, because Podar people saw those who believed in him saw him no less than. As incarnation of God. In fact, uh, you uh, quote Teji Bachchan. Uh, yeah, Teji Bachchan. Hey, imagine one of the birthday. I think seventh birthday of Ajitab Bachchan. He's brought all the way to Gorakhpur. He's you know, and then he did the Avdi Gita only at the instance of Radha Baba, who was like his guru and later. So yeah, this was. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, just to quote like two 
different, very different aspects of Pudar and, and both unrelated to sort of his professional work, but personal aspects, which I found fascinating. And the first one is, of course, this kooky religious aspect. And you write, quote, Pudar would have more visions of God in the next few years. In 1936, he claimed to have been met in Gita Vatika, which was where he lived, hmm. by celestials, a sage Narada and Angiras the sage who received the Atharva Veda. Hmm. Poddar claimed that they explained to him concepts which are not part of the Shastras. Hmm. Stop quote. And and another aspect of it, which is a more introspective, self-critical aspect, which you write about later in the book, uh, start quote, writing to an acquaintance, Poddar said he was not the person he had been made out to be by others and neither was Gita Press any more the ideal yeah. place to yeah. seek spiritual solace. And now it's Pudar's words. Till a few years ago, this was a good place for those involved in spiritual exercise. This place is not fulfilling as it is marked by demonic traits like self-promotion, jealousy, materialism. And he continues, there is no limit to my meanness and misdemeanors. Neither could I become a good person nor could I help my associates uh, improve. Stop quote. He, he'll he get into these long phases of self-introspection where he will, uh, all his replies to everyone would be of this nature, you know, I have failed, I'm here. And uh, mostly this will be when he'll be in Dalmir's factory in one place or he'll be in Ratangar in Bikaner. This also in a way helped building what we call now, you know, Podar brand, you know, because people would know that there will be phases now, now Bhaiji as he was called. Mm. Bhaiji has gone into sulk or Bhaiji is in a different mode. So he's become inaccessible. And, uh, but he's, when he's talking about the soul decline, the moral values and Gita press, that is mostly because he could see what was happening around in his own family, what was happening with, uh, children, what not his children, but, you know, associates, the children, they were going out eating. Then he has problems with people going watching cinema, people eating ice cream, people sharing, drinking from the same glass, which, which they still continue to kind of propagate, you know. So, so uh, before we get on to sort of um, uh, the Gita press itself, how it grew, and one by one, we'll tackle all the themes, uh, the broad themes that come up. There was an intriguing sidelight, which was, you write about this thing called the Rodda conspiracy. Yeah. Which this is well before the Gita yeah, press yeah. around 1960. When he was growing up in Calcutta. Yeah. When he was growing up yeah. and uh, some Marwaris were involved yeah, yeah, in this. Yeah, 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 he yeah. himself was yeah, arrested. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's very interesting that the Marwaris managed to hush up the matter and they get him out. And then they almost seem to take a decision as a community that we are not going to get into this kind of politics. No. We are going to do our dhandu. And yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and my question is that, is this also to some extent... One of the many reasons that the Hindutva movement was never anti-colonial, like later when the Gita press got into politics, it got into politics against fellow nationalists, uh, you know, against Nehru and against the Congress. Yes. But never against yeah, a British it was a big group Because, see, they, for them, commerce was, uh, nothing came before commerce. It was for commerce that they left their family, wife, children, everyone behind in Rajasthan. This community was very focused. And despite all the joke and whatever, you know, this larger thing which was said about Marwaris, that didn't deter them from the path. And here comes something which would have completely destroyed them. If you see the pages of Calcutta, Calcutta Samachar, which was uh, edited by Jhabar Mal Sarma, who was also Marwari, uh, they first tried to, because I was trying to track how what they're saying, because it was very important what 
कलकत्ता समाचार से सो दे सिंह कुछ मारवाड़ियों की गिरफ्तारी हुई है एंड देन दे गिव नेम्स और जीडी बिरला इज आल्सो देयर वन ऑफ देम बाय द वे एंड अब्सकोंडेड एंड हु अब्सकोंडेड एंड पीपल से दैट ही वेंट टू ओटी एंड फेलो मारवाड़ीज हु गॉट अरेस्टेड दे से दैट दोस डेज अपरेंटली more than a lakh was paid can you believe it what the money would be crores today crores easily easily and uh, that gentleman that police officer later on which is even more interesting i think uh, medha's uh, biography of birla says that uh, he or someone else wrote it that that gentleman police officer later after retirement from police uh, was heading the london operations birla <laughs> birla so uh, so this immediately so first thing they did was they just said that okay this and it was not even uh, the tone was not defiant at all that you know my community has done my boys cannot do it even if they do it they were for the larger no 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 nothing they said basically they're saying these are misguided youth mm. okay and then they get certain people who were very close to the colonial rulers to come and speak to them and be there kind of negotiate on their behalf and the kolkata samachar for the after that is constantly talking about how law abiding they are they have nothing to do with all this and as you said just just do your commerce that they did want interrupted at all which road arms if you actually look at the original records which is there in the sixth volume which west bengal government brought out uh it's like they were been, they were really trying to get after them but it got hushed only he and then the gentleman who later became member of rajya sabha prabhu dayal himmat singh ka and few others got arrested their lives so there was a rancor among some of these marwadis that birla got away we we still had to face punishment spend time in jail no i mean himmat singha was a post independence minister you know minister was, he was he was he became yeah yeah himmat singha became also top notch lawyers in the country yeah. so yes that was uh, basically keep away from all this uh, from whatever is happening and this is you know also interesting because podar you know before this he got very influenced by uh, the extremists within the congress party yeah. as you point out bipin chandrapal and so on and he also simultaneously and later on in time and through the years this became a love hate relationship but got extremely close to gandhi yeah, got very, very, very close to gandhi yeah. eta press and, and and we'll discuss that in, uh, as well in the second half is really that relationship is fascinating but what seems to me is that after this uh, roda thing happens and they are let off uh he pretty much decided that i'm going to stay away from politics and the geeta press is really a cultural thing but at the same time it's a political project which yeah, is is a political project happening under the surface and, and which he makes his very first editorial of kalyan in 1926 it's a fascinating which is a kind of a template from which geeta press is not wavered at all where he talks of everything where he talks about what is happening all over the world is talking about what is hindu muslim unity is talking about what we should do to Mm, and mostly it it doesn't become it doesn't have anti colonial uh, language it's mostly about the community it's mostly about the religion and muslims of course and when he says that you know we should learn from muslims to be together and fight together and then he says uh, uses the word sangbal ki avashyakta hai which is unity of strength strength 
No, in in in, in fact, at a, at at different point, uh, different points in time, he almost sort of cozies up to the British. For example, when George V dies in nineteen twenty six, you know, again quoting from your book, uh, his death in nineteen twenty six came at a time when Kalyan was still finding its feet, and for a journal that counted Hindu nationalism as a sine qua non of the freedom movement, paying tribute to King George V was possibly a calculated act to win the goodwill of the colonial yeah. government. Podar called George the uh, Fifth an ideal husband, father. son and friend and justified the gloom his death had brought to his subjects uh, family and friend. how would he know george five his <laughs> ideal father <laughs> that that was a yeah that's <laughs> randomly kuch bhi bol dete kuch bhi bol do do whatever to please them Yeah. yeah, you know, and as the project gets underway, I mean, you write about how gradually the early issues of Kalyan are sort of a testing ground for what become lead motifs and dominant themes later, like cow slaughter and gender and so on, which we'll discuss as we go along. But I was particularly struck by how, even though uh, the Gita Press and Kalyan was. You'd put it in the philanthropic box of the Marwaris that they are not doing this for profit. This doesn't mean dhando. Nevertheless, you describe that the model of Hinduism they sell is almost a banya model in your yeah, words. So then I'll yeah, see banya model. Um, see, they had to make religion attractive. Hmm. One of the ways in which uh, which this started right in the beginning and which in a way played a big role and continues to, in fact, is that. Selling you recite God's name for twenty fifty thousand times, or you write in a notebook and submit to us. They had the Ramayan bank and all that, and then they had this Ram Nam Jab Bibhag, and they had a similar thing for something for Gita. So it immediately struck a chord among people, among the literate people. Uh, that okay, just to, I know people who in, even now who are doing it, sending. The notebooks full of Ram, 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 and they're sending it, and they're saying, "Okay, we've written one lakh times," or, or so it brought God and directly. You know, there's a direct interface with God, and then they said, "Then this Bhagwan Mahima Ankh they brought out of Kalyan, which is a fascinating issue where everyone is talking about bizarre things have happened because." They believed in God. They recited the name of the God, and they, so many times, or they did this, and it helped someone's daughter's marriage. Two days before marriage, someone postman brings twenty thousand rupees from somewhere. You know, all all kinds of um, things. It was almost a transactional model of Hinduism. Yeah, right? it was a very transactional. You drop a name enough ah, times, ah, you ah, will ah, get ah, it. Bus, bus. You, you you do it, you will get it. And they'll say keep. Therefore, the stress on whole rituals that. You know, if you want a male child, you have to do this. <laughs> you know, if you want uh, to do this, you have to have fast in the first hour of uh, on certain day, and so and you find that this is even now Kalyan has a full page which says that in the coming month, the next month. What will be the celestial positions of, and what can you do, and which is, and and there are every day some Purnima or some Ekadsi or some Dwadsi if you go by it, and people are following. If I have seen women in Gorakhpur who are um, kind of um, doing it all the time, and even outside Gorakhpur, you know, you know women who are doing it.
In fact, I was also, uh, you know, going to discuss the sort of um, uh, the strategic genius of Podar and the various things they did about outreach, which include the Gita Sabhas, Ramayana Sabhas, mm. Gita tests for children where yeah. they would give prizes and medals yeah, for yeah. kids and the Gita society. And, and what you're talking about, this transactional model and these yeah. rituals that you perform. Again, I'll quote from your book. Uh, because I, I just found this an incredibly fascinating and jaw-dropping quote. Uh, stop quote. Four kinds of membership were on offer for the Gita department. The first included those who read the entire Gita, 18 chapters, once every day, 365 times in a year. The second type of members could finish all the chapters over two days and the complete text 180 times in a year. The third category of members uh, read, uh, read six chapters in a day, thus reading the Gita 120 times in a year. The last category of members could reach as much of the Gita as they wish daily, as long as they completed at least 42 readings in a year. Stop quote. Yeah. And it's fascinating. You don't need to live a virtuous life. You don't need to yeah, just, just, just read it and your job is done. You know, we'll, we'll now take a quick break and we'll come back after the commercial break to get really into the meat of what uh, the Gita press was all about and uh, what the Sanatan Dharm Hindu movement was attempting to do. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another awesome week on the IBM Podcast Network. If you are not following us on social media, please make sure you do. We're IBM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Instagram was a big week for us this week. We crossed 10,000 followers. Also, you should check out the kind of stuff that we do over there. Get a look into the studio. And, you know, I mean, like, see some of the quotes and stuff like that that come out and uh, audiograms and, you know, all that other kind of good stuff. So, you know, let me tell you about two new shows that are coming up, right? So, the first one let me talk to you about is GBCD. This show is hosted by Farhad and Sunetru. They share the ABCDs of their queer lives and dig into the memories and experiences. Tune in for a new episode every week on Tuesdays. Another show we're really excited to bring you is called Feeding 10 Billion. This show is hosted by Good Food Institute's Varun Deshpande and Ramya Ramamurthy. They talk to experts in the food industry about rethinking protein and reimagining food systems in India. New episodes out every Tuesday for this show as well. Also, Simplified is completing 150 episodes. My God, I can't believe that we're already there. They need your help to celebrate this milestone. Send us theories, concepts, or questions that you have using the hashtag Simplified150 on Twitter or send us a DM on Instagram and Chuck Narinashrikev will answer your questions on episode 150. On Cyrus Says, Cyrus is joined by Rajiv Lakshman of Raghu Rajiv from Rodi's fame. He shares childhood stories of growing up with a twin brother, his memories of Cyrus at MTV, and his new show Skulls and Roses. The Ganatantra podcast is back from a hiatus with a warm-up episode. Sadhu and Alok discuss themes that you can look forward to in Season 2. On What a Player, Akash, Mikhail and Siddharth talk about the Bangladesh-Zimbabwe Tri-Series. Monty Panesar is the next mayor of London, the physical requirements for playing chess and a lot more. On Tech Careers in the News, Shiladitya is joined by Kaushik Vijay Raghavan and Aditi Kulkarni to talk about intelligent automation and its impact on the real world. On Agla Station Adulthood, Ritasha and Ayushi dive into romantic relationships and the complexities that they entail. On Keeping It Queer, Farhad and Naveen talk to performance artist Swapnil Alize about accepting her identity, her love for dance and her group Color Positive. On our Kannada podcast, Salli Harate, Narahari KS joins Ganesh and Pawan to share an overview of public relations in India and how it is involved. And with that, let's get you on with your show. Welcome back to The Scene and the Unseen. I'm chatting with Akshay Mukul, writer of the brilliant book, The Gita Press and the Making of Hindu India. Let's kind of go through the different sort of dominant themes that the Gita Press took up. Some of them resonate to this day. And, and one of them is the cow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and people today seem to think that this is a recent thing. And of course, to a certain extent, uh, uh, you know, because, um, for example, cow slaughter would mainly have Muslims and Dalits uh, involved in it. The whole movement almost seems as a proxy to uh, just attack those guys. But it goes a lot deeper than that, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. 
in fact uh, cow and women have been uh, i don't think there's been a single issue of kalyan where these two virtue of cow and the need to keep the sanctity or of hindu women is not discussed in one way or the other in fact there's a sentence uh, that i remember from your book where you write about how where you quote someone saying wars have been fought over cows and women yeah wars have been uh, and and cow was because cow was a rallying point for them cow they realized uh, would help them tide over the deep caste divisions which the hindus had it would help them talk of not talk of other things and mind you when this uh, gorakshni sabhad started and the violence started in the name of cow marwaris were bankrolling but who were the foot soldiers foot soldiers were people like the communities like yadavs and kurmis in fact if you see the in place like bihar some of the riots uh, that took place around that period most of the perpetrators hindu perpetrators were the yadavs so it created a kind of um, so and cow became a very easy symbol for them and um, only when you find only in the 90s or late 80s early 90s after the mandal happened that we find for some time that cow although the cow movement has been constant has been going on but we find that um, the ram temple or something came as a rallying point but otherwise cow has been constant in fact when 2014 uh, these people came to power kalyan talked in detail about and then maharashtra government banned it one of the earlier states in 2014 to do it they were very happy they said now it should be done across india it should be banned across india and uh, there's this whole thing why only few states are doing it so it was um, since 1951 election also every election when they tell readers who to vote uh, they don't mention a party they only say that just vote for a party which will do these you know one two three things so uh, this has been a very very cow has been the most important um, symbol or the most sacred of things are on which they have kind of uh, worked and and geeta press has a big role to play also because the cross linkages that geeta press created among other groups there were a lot of other groups exclusively working for cow for cow protection and other things and that famous the 60s the cow protection movement which led to attack on parliament atlas podar was at the helm of it he was a treasurer for a long time and uh, geetam kalyan was kind of if you used to see kalyan of that time it was uh, spewing venom and uh, as you pointed out they had two special issues on cow one was a gao ankh uh, which was very and then later gao sevang gao sevang which was which happened in the uh, much later it was kind of and i was trying to figure out why is a cow sacred to hinduism and you quote peter vandermeer yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in your book where uh, again i'll quote from your book hmm. uh, peter vand a uh, quote peter vandermeer asks a question why would people want to die and kill for the protection of cow He looks at the centrality of the cow at four levels. One in Brahmanical rituals, the cow is akin to mother, a symbol of the earth, the nourisher, a uh, goddess who fulfills every wish, Kamdhenu, symbol of wealth and good fortune, Lakshmi, who is integral to rituals. Blah 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 blah. Two sacredness is also attached to cow products like milk, dung, and urine. 
Consumption of milk, butter and ghee is believed to make a person satvik and a mixture of five cow products, milk, curd, butter, urine and dung is used to prepare the panch gavya that is used to purify a polluted person. Parenthesis, it was offered as a solution for Hindu women who had lost their modesty during the communal riots at the time of partition. And we we'll stop parenthesis and we'll come back to it at this when we talk about gender. Three, the symbol of cow as a wish-fulfilling mother of Krishna is celebrated in the bhakti cult. And finally, Gaumata was symbolic of of both family and community protecting the cow meant reiterating the patriarchal authority like the kingdom of rama which is ram rajya they are ideal hindu state stop quote and it's interesting that once we gain independence and india sort of goes in a different direction you also talk about how cow protection arguments begin to be framed in secular terms such yeah. as you know where you for example um, how they talk about the cows high economic utility yeah, they the talk day. about the relationship between the quality of cattle and general prosperity yeah. um you talk about how national pride is associated with economic prosperity which is brought about by cows and also about how the cow can cement harmonious relationships between hindus and muslims see uh, some of these people had they been alive and seen what was happening now what is happening now in the name of cow i'm sure they wouldn't have approved of it because whatever they're doing they were, they were very clear that you know the cow was alive that you, how do you get rid of the cow which is old ailing and died on its own okay nobody even if you're not selling it to a slaughterhouse everyone knew what was happening to cow but they knew the skin was being used the body parts or whatever you know various ways it's being used and they were aware of the economic aspect of the whole thing even rajendra prasad when he's writing in goang he's talking about it and he's saying that let them die on their own or don't give to slaughterhouse they'll and they'll constantly they'll invoke example of saudi arabia or all one of these countries and they'll say oh cows are not slaughtered even there then the example of humayun or babar one of this now what is happening i don't think the, the, this whole killing i don't know whether they were approving uh, or maybe if had uh, this kind of had you know the kind of government we have now full hindu government been in par maybe it would have happened one doesn't know but that generation was aware of that there has to be some you know resolution to this whole cow thing when a cow is giving me milk helping me in various ways at the end of it what to do with cow old ailing cow can a farmer afford five old ailing cow and have new ones also impossible so there was a way and they were aware of it what was happening otherwise how were slaughterhouses working and how were hindus running the slaughterhouses and in some of these areas where this movement was very very strong western up and other places i know in maharashtra for instance although these podar and all worked very uh, kind of actively to you know, close many slaughterhouses in bombay there were they had this uh, huge slaughterhouse which got closed in those days i think in the 50s uh, in bengal uh, bengal they got certain slaughterhouses closed but they had some model that you know you do you have a pasture land you do this at least they were, that's what they talk since they were never in power in those days one doesn't know how it would have kind of panned out but i don't know whether they have approved of what is happening now 
No, and some of the sort of narratives that came up around the cow seem quite goofy. For example, you quote someone called Prabhudat Brahmacharya, yeah, yeah, yeah. who prescribed a tenfold path for Hindus and Hindutva to survive. And quoting you, quote, he asked Hindus to keep cows at home, even if this meant they had to have fewer motor vehicles. Yeah. Stop quoting, try telling yeah. a modern cow that. But, if, but, the, but, the, but the, funniest, the, the funniest thing that I found was a Vanaspati controversy. Yeah, Vanaspati. <laughs> Tell me a bit about that. See, Vanaspati... This is a vegetable oil which yeah, sort of yeah, replaces ghee yeah, as a yeah, cooking yeah, medium. Yeah. So, there was this, um, you know, there was this famous Jain Banaspati case which happened sometime in the 80s. This news, I think, broken by a journalist, I think, Manoj Mitta played a big role in it. Where this whole beef tallow which was being used and some of the Marwadis were involved. This, this class, this community was involved. And... Uh, when the time when they're getting very involved with it, uh, you find that Gita Press suddenly turns very business. It's like a business weekly, monthly, where they're even listing out early days. They were talking of making this distinction between the companies which use beef tallow and not beef tallow. This is what the controversy that I'm talking about happened much later. And they listed out the companies. Uh, which were mostly the Marwadi-owned companies, which were... In fact, the first one was uh, Gita Press's Gita Press own, uh, Later company. on, they had to leave uh, this business. They abandoned this business because something happened, something very controversial, which they will not talk about. So when it came to, you know, their business, they used Gita Press to the hilt, especially in, when in a crisis like uh, this uh, Banaspati Ghee controversy. So it was uh, used by them... In fact, and then they, what they did also on Banaspati whole controversy, they got more and more people to write on it, you know. And when it suited, they used Gandhi, you know. So, in fact, there's a, again a quote from your book where uh, Gandhi summarizes an article by Datar Singh, who was yeah, you know, America uh, Gandhi's grandfather. grandfather yeah. yeah, and he was also a prominent, uh, he was a cow consultant for the government or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Quoting again from your book, quote, Gandhi summarized Singh's article for wider dissemination. Vanaspati, he said, is a poor substitute for ghee. But due to the great margin of profit in this industry, its production has developed from 26,000 tons per annum in 1937 to 105,000 tons in 1943. Such rapid growth of the Vanaspati industry, Gandhi feared, will not only adversely affect the welfare of the cultivators, but ha will have a deleterious effect on the cattle industry upon which the prosperity of the whole nation directly depends on yeah. quote and it almost sounds like Basia's candle makers petition that you know block out the <laughs> brother yeah yeah and another interesting thing that I didn't know about though I consider myself fairly well informed on Indian politics was the whole uh, sort of the cow slaughter agitations of the 60s which which came to a head as you point out on 7th November uh, 1966, where Delhi witnessed a surge of people estimated between 125,000 and 700,000. Yeah. And among the people who addressed the crowd in front of parliament were people like Golwalkar, Karpatri Maharaj, Prabhudad Brahmachari, Said Govindas of the Congress, Atal Bihari Vajpayee, yeah. and Hanuman Prasad Pudar. Yeah. Hanuman Prasad Pudar was actually the treasurer of that, uh, Goraksha Mahavyan Samiti. Mm. He was a very, very important person, in fact. And I also mentioned somewhere, I think here only when I'm talking about cow, how RSS Kader, 
he's thanking Goldwalker, saying yeah. that how oh, your Kada helped our people train and all that because of this whole violence which happened and the way they attacked the city. That's basically this uh, Lutian's Delhi got really attacked. Menand, not Kamrad's house got vandalized. Lot of some of his stuff got beaten up. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, no, and and they would always play the victim. So even every time there was yeah, a riot, they, they would be like, they, "No, yeah, yeah. the Muslims started it." We yeah, yeah. they even in this they played victim. But for a change with Indira Gandhi, they were like for some time they were really they didn't know that this is the kind of actions he's going to take. Mm. She didn't know that a lot of people who were arrested and in Tihar jail will get beaten up. Either police did it or fellow prisoners were asked to beat them, which is a normal practice in jails, you know, in Indian jails. That kind of really rattled them. They never thought that this will go on for so long. So you find it's almost what they were doing during the national movement or later during emergency, very apologetic tone. Uh, they're almost writing to Indira Gandhi saying that... Addressing her sister, that no, we didn't do this. We got you got it wrong, and the movement completely disappears. And because government created its own kind of uh, committee and said we are doing this, and they got somehow trapped into this. So the movement more or less dies in the, after, in the aftermath of that. Much later again, and therefore you find there is a period of lull on cow movement. Although these groups were constantly working, and if you go to places like Rishikesh, Brindavan, and Mathura, Banaras, you find these groups existed, but they lost that. Uh, Although Gita Press continued to talk about it. Gita Press in his journal will talk and all that. So, you, you know, so just kind of thinking aloud that, like you said, the, in politics, the cow issue waxed and waned and, you know, now it's back, of course. Uh, but Gita Press kept talking about it throughout. Was it something, like, did they genuinely expect cow slaughter to at some point in time be banned across the country? Or was it more of a rhetorical tool to mobilize Hindus? Both, because they they could also see that even post uh, immediately after independence, you see what what was happening in UP. UP had agreed, uh, so th- they could see even the ambivalence of the Congress government. So the Congress leaders on cows, although how else was Govindas addressing? Uh, was Congress leader? He never left Congress until uh, he was. He was, uh, I think, till before that he was member of CWC. Uh, if you this one uh, who Lal Bahadur Shastri Lal Bahadur Shastri uh, well Lal Bahadur Shastri didn't come out in the open but uh, the Gulzari Lal Gulzari Lal Nanda quit and uh, came in support of the movement so Congress's ambivalence um, they figured out and it's also you know the cultural thing among Hindus so very few people could make that distinction on cow which Nehru's western upbringing Nehru's Refined man, um, refined thinking. He could he could make that distinction that don't do this. You will destroy our economy. And he just kept that economy, nothing else. In fact, people who talked about the cow, he called them economically illiterate. Yeah, well, he was absolutely right. He, he made some big mistakes himself, yeah. but he, he was, was right about this. When you read that uh, speech he gave in Parliament when the private member bill is moved and he appears in that day in Parliament, uh, and he says, "What are you two people doing?" And so he could understand he and he never got into this religion mumbo jumbo, religious mumbo jumbo. He said, let's skip it to economics. If you don't guys don't understand you people talk of rural economy. Do you realize what this what will do to our rural economy? But then so 
partly it was that uh, the, the right wing figured out that cow is something on which very few parties will have the guts to come and Nehru is gone. Nehru is dead and gone and so Congress after Nehru if you see it's been a kind of uh, its ambivalence continues till now on certain issues on cow or bait anything even in parliament just to see on certain bills Congress could have easily come out and kind of opposed it but i mean they 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 run states where there are cow protection cells in the yeah, yeah, yeah. look so, look uh, what's um, uh, happening in madhya pradesh or even in rajasthan instances have happened so congress is always been a lesser evil in these matters and various other things of course they are the bigger evils so and of course it becomes a very easy rallying it helps you paper over the large differences within the hindu society of caste and everything cow is something on which Uh, very few people will you, you know then you only talk of cow for hindus you're not talking of uh, other thing like temple entry movement every time you talk it reveals the great divide uh, divide uh, in the hindi uh, among hindus cow doesn't let's talk about caste uh, since you brought it up and and you know very early on podar sort of uh, you know he supports varnashram and Okay, so before we get to caste, there's sort of a broader question that, in terms of their beliefs and caste, in terms of their beliefs in gender, and in both cases, their beliefs basically boil down to uh, you should know your place. So within a caste system, this is a varnashram, this is everybody's place. Uh, if you're a woman, this is your place, and, and we'll discuss that in detail at some yeah. point. And it all goes back to the whole karma thing that you are where you are because of the misdeeds of your past birth. Absolutely, and th- therefore there's no need to change it. This is your karma playing This itself karma. out. Do something well in this life, and next and life maybe you will be born maybe upper caste. With, uh, yeah. In the long run, we're all born. Yeah, as Keynes would have said, if he was a Hindu. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. So this is. Uh, So caste was very very crucial to them. In fact, therefore, you find right from the beginning, even early days in the first few issues of Kalyan, also they're talking of basically this Chaturvarna system, the Varnashram, and this is what it is. And uh, but only after 1932, once the Pune Pact gets signed, is when they are really agitated, and the first rupture in relations with Gandhi takes place. That. how could you and then he is kind of showing him his old articles or citing old articles of gandhi to gandhi and saying that look what you wrote but gandhi is the good thing about gandhi was he was constantly evolving admitting his mistakes he's saying yes i did so what i moved on this is what i think which they could never kind of come to terms with and after that the stress on caste becomes more pronounced in kalyan and other places and they're constantly when they go to the extent of saying that you know just because you carry you know the this whole scavengers because uh, because of what you do you have germs in your body imagine saying this and getting away with it yeah they're writing it and getting away with it and the kind of terms they use for ambedkar and uh, because they were very worried they were very angry about what he was doing with hindu court bill ambedkar and on top of that second he had married a brahmin woman that kind of got the court in your book you spoken about how they always called him hinvarna hinvarna lower caste ha lower so many imagine addressing hinvarna dr ambedkar they were very very angry with ambedkar in fact see nehru they could still think here uh, he's one among us who's gone you know off his off track but this man yeah 
even if he resigned and nehru was also not giving up on hindu court bill broke it but got it passed and these guys didn't know what to do with him so we will come to the yeah. hindu court bill later i i found uh, you know one of the letters from poddar to gandhi you uh, sort of uh, reproduce was very fascinating where poddar yeah. is writing to gandhi court these days a big agitation by dalits is going on in the country that has intensified due to your fast yeah. at various places people are dining with dalits and they are being allowed inside temples outcome only god knows just like those believing in god and shastras are accused of blind faith i find that this movement has not only become a victim of blind faith but also there is a lack of discernment even those in favor of dining with dalits agree though i do not equate dining with them as a mark of equality that they cannot be considered pure unless they have a pure bath wear fresh clothes give up alcohol and meat and at least stop feasting on dead cattle only then co dining makes sense but your common dining in temple entry movement is not even checking if they fulfill those norms and so on he goes of um, ranting on and on and in the end he says even pandavas and kauravas used to dine together but it led to a big battle yeah uh, <laughs> and it seems as if you know on some of these issues like dalits and muslims and uh, cows uh, he almost gets unhinged unhinged uh, and then you realize that okay wasn't this journal supposed to be bhakti gyan vairagya uh, journal which will talk about bhakti and knowledge and renunciation look at this man he's just and something would happen then like one marriage gandhi had made this uh, made some announcement that he'll only attend marriages where at least one partner is uh, you know from dalit come his harijan and this comes to podar's notice he says he says he is like almost abusive he said he has lost his mental balance but then at the same time it's very difficult to figure out this and around the same time you find there's a letter uh, which come to him from jamnalal bajaj saying that oh bapu wants you uh, to be part of some journal which was bring out on again on cows or something ट and ambedkar kind of sees through it and the ambedkar yeah, yeah, they, they, so they never ambedkar see uh, even the pact was a bit of a compromise and ambedkar is always suspicious of him throughout it's not that the relationship uh, ever is very very you know the kind of relations that gandhi had with uh, nehru or something no he and they were always they, they inhabited different universes 
It was a very, very momentary thing what happened in uh, Pune yeah. Pact and all that. Yeah. yeah. And and so Gandhi was in a sense it almost feels like neither Karkana Ghatka that uh, <laughs> he's lost to Sugita Press and he's yeah, lost yeah. Ambedkar and yeah, he's basically yeah. in all his posturing yeah, in the game. Yeah, but then Gandhi play. always had enough to move on. Yeah. He was yeah, Gandhi was Gandhi didn't care much about these small things of what Pudar <laughs> thought or what uh, Ambedkar was doing. Yeah. and the most fascinating parts of your book are parts which actually deal with uh, gender and the remarkable thing is how you point out that even till today yeah. they have those same kind yeah, of yeah. incredibly uh, uh, regressive uh, views yeah. and i'm i'm just going to quote a bit yeah i mean i mean their fundamental um, uh, sort of belief is again quoting from your book in quote independence is not promised to women in the hindu social structure yeah. a woman has to live with a father till marriage with a husband as a married woman and after his demise she has to live either with a son or some other relative she cannot be independent at any cost and a little later while talking about menstruation Buddha yeah. uh, writes I'll quote from your uh, book again presenting a skewed understanding of female sexuality Buddha wrote that during her menstrual period a woman had an uncontrollable urge for yeah. sex and to channelize this vasana yeah. there is a system of uh, vasana and sexual urge there is a system of marrying girls by the time they attain puberty in the husband shelter a woman's sexual desire does not reach others and she is safe from getting polluted if she is not married her sexual desire degenerates into debauchery just the way it is happening in europe the core job of a woman was to serve the world how podar used two word two terms utpadan which means manufacturing or production and nirman which means construction or creation thus a woman's job was to procreate and nurture quality men stop going yeah. and uh, you know when i was uh, actually <laughs> uh, writing that period this part uh, my niece was my daughter was very small she was in i think she was still in class 7th or something so i made her read it i said what do you think of this i made them read that pamphlet Mm. As what do you think of it? I made my niece, who's elder and who's in going to engineering college, so I bet her read it. Is this what you're writing? So they were not very sure what what I have to do with that. So I said, well, this is what it is, and it's still being sold. Say, istri dharm prashnotri. I the last copy when my Hindi translation was being done, and I lost my own copy. I picked it up from railway. I had gone to drop someone at the railway station. I got it. and just look at the circulation when it's something produced in 1926 getting sold in 2019 has a constituency has a readership selling more than chetan bhagat selling more than chetan bhagat then what is happening someone somewhere is reading it and even 10% i don't know what percentage i have no figures but someone is getting influenced too So what is happening when you see this strange kind of things happening outside the urban spaces you realize that people are getting influenced what is being done to women in term in just controlling their sexuality basically control you know yeah. using whatever be the absurd logic yeah and basically the whole deal is that a woman's only job is to make her husband look good yeah. to the world and to serve you inhabit the inner it. space yeah. in, internal uh, this uh, the four walls of the house and just procreate that's yeah. it yeah. and you have no other job and 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 you know in this context one of the things i noticed in your book though you don't always call it out as such but it's is that what kalyan is also doing what padar is doing is a lot of what today we would call fake news they are just randomly and i and i found a few examples of these and like in one place you say uh, quote 
Odar cited a Labour MP speech in the British Parliament in which he reportedly said 40% of girls under 20 got pregnant before marriage yeah. and among married women the first child was illegitimate in 25% of the cases yeah. which is complete <laughs> rubbish yeah. and and, and th- there was a similar thing from yeah. Lahore about yeah, how yeah, all yeah. the girls all over 12 were hostile. pregnant yeah 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 i know i know i know uh you know and one that is not and uh, okay another one podar claimed without substantiation that sexually transmitted diseases were prevalent among 50% of students and another one which is not related to gender but i found it so funny was a quote one of gandhi's associates telling people in gujarat that cow fat was mixed in the manufacture of foreign cloth or a leaflet stating yeah. that a 1000 pounds of colored manchester cloth consisted of 300 pounds of cow and big blood stop quote this is how they propagate it no no substantiation nobody will ask someone will print it so we are now worried of fake news from in social media which is still your print is still more or less still all right you know uh and then it was happening in print you know and it was everyone was doing the it the most popular heartland magazine yeah, yeah. reaching everyone yeah, yeah, reaching and you everyone. don't have any pratiksena or alt news no, to no, sort no, of no one, uh, no pratiksena nothing So and you randomly are saying Labour MP. Who is this Labour MP? Will, <laughs> then they will quote some study about something happened to the generation of women. Who? What study? Which study? They will never mention it. Yeah, and there's other stuff like, for example, at a later point, he's uh, uh, in the 1948 Nari Yang Pudar sort of um, glorifies Sati, and uh, his narrative rests on his genuine scientific belief. Yeah. When you put uh, scientific in quote marks, of yeah. course, that fire can emanate from yeah. a distraught yeah. widow's shoulder and heart. So he's saying no one sets a woman on fire, but if she is pativrata and a virtuous woman, her sorrow for her husband will make her spontaneously combust. Uh, which she calls uh, uh, scientific, and this stuff is just nuts, and millions of people are reading it. Yeah, yeah, reading it. Mind you, Nari Ank is still in circulation. Hmm. Nari Ank is very much. It keeps getting reprinted. And Nari Ank is one of these year-end specials. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. At the beginning of the year, they have special, which is like thousand pages. You, you have all these? Yeah, yeah, I have all of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have kept all of it. I should I have asked you to bring one. <laughs> yeah, 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 I have all of Nari Ank, Hindu Ank, everything. Have all the issues, and what is the noise to signal ratio? Like, how much of this is is bullshit kind of fake news nonsense, and how much is actually well reasoned uh, stuff? See, when it comes to women, mm. I'll say hundred percent is bullshit. Mm, of course, mm. uh, on cow they were doing both the things. Mm. See, go sevang comes at a time, for instance, when the movement is at its slowest step. So it's talking. It is very economic in nature. This is nineties or something. Uh, this is nineties, ninety three or something. If mm-hmm. I'm getting the year right. So by then the movement was not there. You know, Ram Temple movement was at the center stage. It has some things. It has few articles by experts, which is talking of how to make economic use of cow. Which is fine. You can even sense a change of narrative. Then it's not a strident. They're trying one. to make it sound. Uh, they're trying to make. Therefore, they made that distinction of go ank, which had already come, and they make go sevang. Mm. Where was the, they were discussing economics of it and various other aspects. Otherwise, see, they will always throw these sastras or some sutras or some slokas or something. 
which are ordinary reader i don't know how many of them would understand i'm not saying because i myself never cross check when it came to the religious text so i'm not in a position to comment on that but yes when you claim this scientific study on women or sati or uh, women burning on their own because of some combustion happening inside <laughs> it's like what do you do to that you know you write if you read you just it freaks you out you know what do you do with this such thing you know yeah and and for example i mean a, a lot of their stands to do with gender are crazy like they were against birth control so again quoting from your book quote uh, podar saying encouraging artificial methods is like encouraging evil artificial methods of birth yeah. control yeah. it makes men and women frivolous yeah. artificial methods would result in impotence yeah. and decline in sperm count yeah. this remedy would prove to be worse than the disease uh, elsewhere he is ranting against cinema and he says quote first and foremost female actors should be thrown out completely they are the root cause of all evil yeah. second film should not consist of anything that perverts a mind yeah. there will be hangama at first but then people will get used to the changes stop quote and it's interesting that while all this is happening what podar has done and probably shows his genius as an editor and you alluded to it earlier is that he has an extremely wide cast of contributors yeah. to uh, uh you know it's not just a typical hindu nationalist in the hindu no no people. no you're very very smart that way yeah. you know you had people like radhakrishnan writing for mm. him some issues radhakrishnan was not writing on controversy he was a philosopher he kept to that he didn't get into areas which he was not gandhi wrote a lot uh, gandhi wrote a lot um nehru is the only one which even he got the big hindi writers to write you know uh, premchand to nirala to everyone and they'll privately say what to do uh, we don't know anything but because of his or uh, in aura his charm whatever it is even premchand wrote nirala wrote i think among that generation of hindi writers mathli saran gupt was the only one who wrote enthusiastically or hariyad maybe but others were not very keen someone like nirala who was too irreverent to get into this but then well and it's almost like popodar has like strategically decided that okay what do i do to make it as respectable yeah, yeah. this way yeah, as possible yeah. one get all the politicians to get all the hindi literates yeah. three get people from other religions yeah, right other religions also and four get a people from abroad, yeah, abroad. so it gained them a lot of respect because of that you know mm. and and it helped build a huge network and let, let's move on now to the next theme and this is not really a theme as just an underlying backdrop to all of this which is their attitudes towards muslims i mean even if they had a few muslim writers there's a lot of this constant baiting when jinnah is mentioned is mia jinnah when liaquat yeah, yeah. is mentioned it's and in part of the narrative of sanatan dharma as this pure religion that has existed from time immemorial is also a specific narrative they're building up of muslims for example again quoting from your book you write integral to the narrative was a depiction of muslim men as the other libidinous sexually yeah. dissipated and voluptuously lustful from whom hindu women had to be protected at all costs and later you write how the hindu nationalist organization like geeta press called on hindu women not only to avoid lag bangles which yeah. uh, you know those guys made but also not to board horse carts written driven by muslims not to keep muslim servants not to invite muslims prostitutes yeah. or singers and joyous occasion not to buy household items from uh, muslims and so on and so forth and so it's not just a cultural uh, narrative of uh, the saving your women from the lustful muslim male 
but there's also the economic purpose yeah. of cutting off patronage from Muslims. Yeah. So you find actually lot lot what is happening. You see the roots there. You know during even on. Uh, Hindu court bill, maybe we'll discuss it later, but mm. you find that mm, a similar thing was happening as far as the love jihad and all. Mm. Uh, similar arguments were happening and uh, so Muslims kept coming to their narrative one way or the other. When it, they discuss cow, Muslims come. When they discuss women, m- Muslims come. You know, you protect your cows from the Muslims because they consume. You protect your Hindu women because men are li- Muslim men are liberated. In fact, it's considered a compliment if a woman is like a cow. Yeah, and yeah, and it also there is a deep-seated inferiority complex vis-a-vis Muslim men. You find them that there is something about Muslim men. Why are Hindu women attracted? And this I found not only in Kalyan, but even in some of the contemporary journals. For instance. There was this journal, uh, pretty popular, called Hindu Punch. Uh, I have some issues of that journal, and you will find that this is, they're constantly talking about there's something wrong about us, about our about our women. Why are they so attracted to Muslim men? And they get into very graphic reasons, which one may not talk about. But so it, it comes from a deep inferiority complex. Where do you think this insecurity comes from? Like, is it just a historical narrative of, oh, they invaded us and raped our women and all of that? Or is it also something contemporary where they find that Muslim men are just more virile and they're dominating? That's the the narrative of, if you ask uh, any Pracharak privately, he'll tell you this virile thing that, you know, they're more virile, therefore they need four wives. So you, they build their own world. (laughs) Even if you ask them how many Muslim men they know, in these times were four wives, forget four, even two wives. They don't have any name, you know. But this is how they build. And see, the interesting part is that how this narrative is still alive today. It's not only alive, it's doing very well, actually. And especially in the last six years, no, more than five years. Yeah, and one wonders whether there is any logical end to this or it's just a really great way to sort of uh, mobilize uh, uh, the troops uh, so to say, let's kind of now talk about uh, the Gita Press's rising involvement in politics from the 40 onwards. Because as you pointed out, when they started, it was like a cultural thing. They didn't really get involved in politics, even though Poddar was close to a lot of politicians. Yeah. But they didn't really get involved. And they, certainly they were never uh, uh, against the British in any way. No. But um, uh, there were a number of sort of hot buttons which came up in uh, as the 40s came on, and one as independence approach was partition. Yeah. Tell tell me a bit about that. Partition, see, partition, uh, just like as I told you, during the 30s when the caste thing came about, they turned, they forgot what the journal was uh, meant to do. Uh, 40s, it became more so. 40s, in fact, so much so that in 46, uh, one of their issues, which was called Malviank, had to be banned by the United Province government. It was so communal. It was so communal. It also had the last interview uh, given by Madan Mohan Malviya. He died in November. I mean, I, I believe this is the first time they did a special issue. They did a special person. issue for anyone. They never did it mm. uh, for anyone. In the, they have not done it till now on anyone. I mean, when Poddar died, they, they, they did a special issue, no? Uh, I don't 
think I must so. be mistaken yeah no i don't think so i have i didn't come across any so and then it was so communal and you know from and what it was doing was it was getting information from all the newspapers their kind of newspapers you know many newspapers which they thought was kind of furthering the hindu cause and uh, they were talking only of violence and they were very selective in news in fact at one point podar says some of my friends are saying that how come you're only writing about muslims killing hindus okay so hindus are also killing muslims he he admits very grudgingly the entire period if you see from uh, 44 onwards till almost 47 they're very very upset they're trying to especially the ones that realize that pakistan is a reality now there's no going back then they become even more so now they have added grounds that well you listen to muslims have given them so now is the time for us to turn to become a hindu rashtra okay muslims are gone good now we become a hindu rashtra and then they find the constituent assembly this gentleman nehru is discussing hindu court bill which freaks them out and uh, that entire period 44 45 to 47 till gandhi's assassination or before gandhi's assassination it, the entire kalyan becomes rapidly common issue after issue on everything you know they ran uh, um, uh, this one bidacharan sukla's father who was member of the constituent assembly and again party uh, again on the side he was among this right wing element within congress he wrote a multi he wrote a serial uh, four part series or three part series on what should happen to hindi you know and very very particular about how it should not get polluted how urdu should be done away with it, it was a long and four part series imagine so they were kind of bothered about everything so what should happen post 47 now it has happened but on the violence itself and then there's this famous which i call a fake news in uh, about this bengali woman this pamphlet which they produce all over which gets noted in bombay we noticed in bombay labad gorakhpur and uh, frankly who is this woman nobody knows and uh, kalyan because of its circulation it was reaching ordinary hindu homes it was um, and uh, in a way it became for rss and various other organizations it was very easy vehicle to get their point across in fact entire 1946 gorakhpur session of hindu mahasabha the resolutions that they passed you find kalyan reproducing it in a different form as a set of demands that they had from the now uh, new india which was minus the muslims because the pakistan had come up which is like even now you find that those same things someone or the other is talking about especially since 2014 and what kind of struck me was like on the one hand they are very frustrated because they are like the muslims got their pakistan but where is our hindu rashtra yeah. i think they use the term khichri for uh-huh. what they were uh-huh. left with and i love khichri i think it's great <laughs> uh, but on the other hand there's almost in some places i sensed a little bit of glee that this is an opportunity for them to push their agenda for example quoting from your book about noakhali hmm. uh, you say quote the hindu mahasabha which had dispatched senior leaders like ashutosh lahiri shama prasad mukherjee nc chatterjee and pandit narendra nath das to noakhali for relief work 
did not fail to see the long term gain for the community mm-hmm. and now you quote within that yeah. notwithstanding this great catastrophe it is a matter of satisfaction to the members of the relief committee to see a keen sense of fellow feeling now awakened amongst all hindus in every province of india stop quote so people are being slaughtered on both sides yeah. and they see it as an opportunity yes, for to an opportunity. you know continue with the polarization see had gandhi not been assassinated in 48 these guys would have been in power much much earlier maybe not in 51 52 they would have come to power maybe by 57 or max 62 election really yeah this gandhi uh, assassination kept them and it was set back for 20 years so you find them coming back to uh, you know making noise only in the 60s sometime you know 65 election jansang otherwise they were in the they were there of course they were strong perimenic jansang was very much there but they never posed challenge and and where and india and the generation of people they just couldn't come to terms with this assassination they wouldn't have won 47 other uh, uh, if gandhi was not assassinated these guys would have come much earlier and and you know that also brings me to the question of that is our nation's destiny then from that time the way things have unveiled and unraveled purely a question of happenstance and dumb luck where the good luck or bad luck is depends on how you look at it mm-hmm. that there was absolutely just one guy who was against the stride and that was nehru and he is a guy who happened to be prime minister who happened to outlive all these other guys like your patels and whatever uh, nehru and uh, the whole lot whole generation i'll not say nehru alone because the whole generation of people even uh, his lot of his colleagues lot of his party men but, but the other dominant political figures like uh, patel like pant like rajendra prasad were all sort of yeah they were but um, still let's see the larger the, the new india the fervor of new india which he wanted to build was very much in the air there were a lot of people who subscribed to that belief otherwise you know these institutions that nehru built lot of things wouldn't have happened but yes this um, otherwise what explains in 2014 this is a question that i've been asking to a lot of people i ask myself this deep seated anger among suddenly you discover among your friends your relatives whom you have known forever where was this all this while why did it need 2014 election result for this kind of anger there has to be very deep seated you know otherwise now people don't even care when they when they abuse muslims in drawing rooms or middle class drawing rooms or anywhere it's no longer even i remember during bajpay's six years it was not so blatant it was but not so blatant maybe there was no whatsapp so we don't know can i attempt one theory yeah, uh, yeah, yeah please please yeah so there's this is a sociologist called timur kuran who in 98 or 99 wrote this book called uh, public lies and private truths yeah. something of that sort yeah. and he came up with the phrase preference falsification yeah. where he gave the example of the soviet union where he says that look the soviet union appeared to fall overnight as if the tide of public opinion changed suddenly but it didn't happen like that what was happening was everybody might have been against the government but everybody was afraid to speak out and they all thought they were alone True. which is preference falsification and suddenly there was a, what he calls a preference cascade where people suddenly begin to realize that everybody else is also thinks like them and that emboldens them and validates their beliefs and then they can speak openly and i think what uh, happened uh, and i've written about this as well what, what happened in 2014 was 
because of social media, the growth of social media in the five, six years before that, a lot of people who I call closet bigots, yeah. but whatever, without using sure. derogatory terms, a lot yeah. of people who felt a certain way, but thought they should not say it in polite society, suddenly realize number one, that there are many, many more people who feel like yeah, that, who say exactly. it openly, that validates their beliefs, that emboldens them to speak out and the shoe is on the other foot. And, and, and that's 24. I mean, that was just my, no, no, that's absolutely, it's, it's, I entirely agree with this. Otherwise, how did this happen? You know, this like, you know, and it's continuing 2019, for instance, everyone thought, uh, they'll be, you know, they'll be judged on performance. And as we were discussing before the recording, you know, demonetization (laughs) happened and, not a protest, not a protest that one knows of. Yeah. You know, getting angry in a queue is not a protest, you know. That, yeah. That's, Indians are used to getting angry when you're queuing at the airport or railway station or anywhere or it's hospital. But, and it happened, it destroyed livelihoods, destroyed lives. And it's, it's, nothing matters to the people anymore. And it's a triumph of narrative and in a sense, it's a, it's triumph, a triumph of, of the Gita press. Triumph of the Gita press. You know, this is the kind of, they were, they were just, Saying things constantly, whether you read it, not read it, you will see it. It's like the the classic Coke ad. You know, they'll um, when you go to watch the Hollywood movies in America, they'll say, "Drink Coke, eat popcorn." There, there was some catch line which I've mm. forgotten, and they will do it so many times that you will at the end of it you will say, "I might as well go and have something," you know. Yeah. So this constantly talking about cow, women, Muslim, the other. And when you place facts before people, you know, people, the class that you and I belong to, and tell them, tell me how many Muslims that you know who have done extremely well in life, who have taken away your job. Damn it, I don't see Muslim kids in my kid's school, you know. How many Muslim kids that she has as friends in school? In college, how many Muslim friends I had? And what are they taking away then? No, and and there's like, like I remember this incident with this... uh, a friend of mine who's done an MBA from a top school has an absolute top job in the corporate sector. And one day we were just chilling and he said that, Amit, there's one statistic which really scares me. And I said, what is it? And he said, you know, the the Hindu birth replacement rate is so-and-so and he takes 1.9 or something. And the Muslim rate is 9. And I just started laughing. I said that, bro, you know, it, it, this is not even something you need to fact check or Google or whatever. It yeah. is just, just see yeah, it yeah, it just Come it, on. It's just common sense that this is complete rubbish. And, and you find so many... And then you think that, then, no, they're believing this because they want to believe this. They want to believe it. And when you place these facts, they're not, they, they will not agree. They'll say, no, how, where have you got this from? What is this from? You know, for, therefore, someone like, say, Pratik Sinha doing something, what he, which he does, it's like, really hats off I to him. Great personal risk. I mean, and he's great a Great personal risk. He's, he's based on a great hero, if you ask sake. me. Yeah. I, you know, the couple of times I have sent him few things on mm. Twitter, DM'd him that, you know, and I found that he figured this out and it was brought in public domain. But then again, how many people are on Twitter? Yeah. It's the WhatsApp, which is the most dangerous, which is uh, where all the religious jokes to everything and how quick they are when every failure which happens. Like that day, Chandrayaan uh, first attempted in Go for purely scientific reasons, which is fine. It happens all over the world. But they took it in a completely different way. I got few forwards which said, why this is, uh, you know, this was, um, they gave it a new twist to it, which was the, they had no business to do. 
and 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 you will find that everyone and the enough takers for such uh, narrative no and 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 also that uh, depressing whatsapp forward there was about so many countries have moons on their flags but we have a flag on the moon huh. at which point i'm thinking what's the point you know what are you going to do with the millions of jobless huh. people in this country yeah. you're going to send them send to the moon? them Nobody is worried about this. It's it's insane. To to kind of get back to the subject of the Gita Press and uh, politics, and uh, you know, you brought up the Hindu Court bill a couple of times, and I do want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about that because there's a larger question I want to ask you, hmm. which is uh, a very difficult larger question, which is uh, the relationship between the state and society. Yeah. Right. Like I had uh, Rahul Verma, the political scientist, on my uh, show a while back, and he was talking. about one of the two ideological cleavages in india or we have different ideological cleavages from the west uh, according to him the left right doesn't really apply here and one of those ideological cleavages is statism that what is the role of the state in relation to society and whereas the western conception the post enlightenment conception would be that you know the state um, Uh, sort of you need the state for there to be society because someone's got to protect your rights and blah 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 uh, but the hindu conception according to him and the conception which all these hindu nationalists and the gita press people would share is that no society has existed from before the purpose of the state is to serve society which to a certain degree even i agree with but, uh, but the kind of society that i view where individual rights are protected yeah. and so on is completely different from these people's vision yeah. of it but nevertheless their fundamental point is that our society is what it is for a reason and the state has no business interfering in it and and this greater philosophical dilemma is what is again at the heart of the hindu code bill what do you think about this yes in fact hindu code bill i was talking to someone while researching uh, that hindu code bill and he said that you know the greatest suspicion uh, which hindus have or at least this prominent hindu groups rss or bisindu parishad or mahasabha had at that point was uh, and it hindu code bill they faced successfully see the government managed to bring the bills eventually from broken into four but they managed the hindu right groups managed to uh, be this martyr you know why only this communities so this narrative of state only trying to do something to hindus not to muslims so there is a great rejoice about what government has done more among hindus than among muslim women i think or this triple talaq all the muslim women i know my friends everyone no one thinks that is such a big deal it's you not know? relevant to them uh, it's not relevant to age. them uh, but you find that hindus are suddenly like more worried about muslim women than anything else they think it's you did this to us state did this to us the great secular state of nehru did this to us in the 50s so now it's your turn and for whatever reason they think triple talaq is the biggest problem facing muslim muslim women which it is not but anyway so yes they have a suspicion and they also have been very successfully managed to create cultivate this thing that state has always been after them and and 60 years and the entire congress rule years of congress rule are seen as basically anti hindu years and which they have successfully so every time so nehru has to be invoked therefore you know or well, this happened the other day amit uh, sai is saying something about that in uh, kashmir uh, this happened because of nehru then the this where priyanka gandhi went in eastern up 
Yogi is saying, you know, this was done during Congress. So this is funny. Now it's becoming absurd, actually. You know, in fact, Nehru is actually the you forget Nehru, the real person. Yeah, Nehru has become like a mythological figure, like Ravana. Mythological figure, Ravana. I mean, everything. I think in Dasera they'll put up a Nehru. If there is a land dispute, someone goes and kills ten Dalits. And you're saying because of the what Congress ruled did in between, you also ruled BJP ruled for long BJP uh, UP. What? So this is becoming a bit comical actually now. No, and honestly, look, what I would say is that there are a lot of criticisms that I can level against Nehru's economic policies. Yeah, yeah, Congress yeah, government. He was so full whatever. of his flaws. Yeah, absolutely. But this is good, just taken it, taking yeah. it to a new level. Like you <laughs> said, you know, you can't parody this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's becoming a joke. The, some killing uh, happens and then you're blaming uh, congress rule of the 50s oh, what do you do right and and uh, another slightly you know and i found this very funny you know uh, it, it was a hot button once it's no longer a hot button but once upon a time it was a hot button and a big cause for the geeta press which is communism yeah because it was it was it was in fact they were worried because directly see it was most prominent in bengal and that's where the marwadi's the good old marwadi world existed in calcutta right. shift to bombay happened much later in fact even now some of the big marwadi companies uh, still have work out of they dominate calcutta they dominate even now they dominate and they even fund films in bombay yeah, from yeah, there yeah, yeah. so um, uh, and this was a real cha- and you have to give it to them they figured this out uh, much before in fact they were they were having this uh, two part series article on samewad in russia and all kinds of and somehow again this some deprivation you need to bring it everything down to women you know they'll say ye communism mein na sabse zyada problem mahilaon ke sath hota hai and then they will say that one woman has to have relationship with 20 men all kinds of absurd unfounded uh, you know women exist for society so anyone can have any kind of relationship with women so they and and i think they realize that this immediately strikes a chord among the readers or people that you know this is what the new ideology is all about and they were early on to realize that this is going to create problem for them in bengal because uh, bengal forever has been you know right from the beginning of the 20th century even before that marwadis have been there in bengal so you have to they figured out built good alliance with rss groups others even saying in one uh, later they saying that we have to learn from the this communists also how they do this pamphlets so we have to do the pamphlets we have to learn and, and do similar thing otherwise we'll be finished and, and the recent results in the lok sabha elections and yeah, yeah, very now, now of delicious course, for them you yeah. know you you mentioned their views on communism and how that went to women and i have to quote this bit because i'm sorry yeah. i find this so funny if someone's yeah. offended i'm i apologize but i just find this hilarious uh, quote among several example of karpatri's regressive views this is karpatri maharaj or marxwad and yeah among several examples of karpatri's regressive views the most offensive were his statements on women the new concept of women workers and the liberty it provided them a product of the industrial revolution common to both capitalist and communist ideologies was considered a threat to the hindu social order where a woman was limited to the domestic sphere as daughter wife or mother karpatri said lenin had challenged the concept of pativrata nari devoted wife in marxism since everything was state owned there was no need for a woman to be in a relationship with one man as there were no laws of inheritance and private ownership of property karpatri said a woman became like a bucket of water that could <laughs> quench the thirst of many men stop quote 
This is how they used and, to and, write. Yeah, and, 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 and this man is absolutely revered by... He uh, revered... No, but uh, he became a bit of a... Later years, he became a liability. In fact, he was... He wanted his whole take was in the rural economy, a very regressive rural economy. Even Jansang, beyond a point, dumped him. I think he did well in the first election for... I got some six, seven, say I got few seats. In two elections, he did, and then slowly he sang. And this book itself is hilarious. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a fat volume, which I consider. You know, a lot of people have been asking me to lend me a volume. I lend me this volume. I said, "Well, if you promise to return it, this because, is Marxist and Ravi." Is like, there an English translation of it? I, uh, in fact, I had asked Gita Press people. They said, "No, nobody translates." But for I can, uh, I don't know who will have the guts to do it. It's a fat volume, just for entertainment, going in all directions. <laughs> yeah. And another thing I found very funny was how the Gita Press then strategized. is that they are going to co-opt communism and they are going to contrast russian communism with an indian communism yeah. which they claimed originated in uh, uh, hinduism and i'm again going to quote a delightful book from your bit yeah. where you say quote two similarities were noted between indian and russian communisms the first would delight even the most serious of political theorists it said that lord krishna the originator of indian communism dallied with gopis hard working milkmaids just as the fathers of russian communism were involved with humble peasants and workers <laughs> the second similarity was more to the point both versions were aimed at the betterment of the poor and downtrodden uh stop quote and it's and then uh, another writer called charuchandra mitra argued yeah, yeah. that the basic mantra of communism from each according to his ability to each according to his need was already practiced in india through the joint family system <laughs> they were like but you, you have to give it to them for trying at least they were trying to get on to uh, for a religious journal to be aware of this danger although the way they dealt with this danger is very funny and is like very unscholarly that's but that's how they were you know but for them it was real in fact see this this side of podar uh, which i wanted to write more i found few instances he had also become a big figure to in the in matters of business for marwadis for instance when this whole fight when this whole dalmia cement and acc thing is happening everyone is asking him to intervene because acc was a big mnc coming it would have destroyed uh, dalmia cement and what he does is he somehow uh, he he plays some role Whereby they come together. Actually, they becomes it's a so becomes Dalmia SCC. They create a joint group rather than fighting with he's each like other. He's like an elder statesman. Yeah, he's an elder statesman. And much later, also, even when you find the Dalmia, he was very closely associated with Dalmia family. Even small matters, when the entire separation took place, of Times of India, this Jans moved out from the father-in-law Dalmia. Uh, Shanti Prasad Jain, and the matter went to court. The Vivian Commission report. Uh, they say that it is a limited company. It's, it's a listed company, and they're completely disregarding the shareholders. They're taking all the decisions, and they're saying, "How did you take the decision?" They're saying because uh, Bhaiji did told us, and Bhaiji is saying them in a very you know good old. banya way of dividing property or business which is not entirely yours you have shareholders you you know you're you're answerable to them and um, so he was playing a big role even in that vivian bose commission report is full of podar actually 
so this man had a his foot everywhere you know so here's here's a question that uh, kind of strikes me and tell me what you think of this my observation when i finished the book and contextualizing it to the current times was that for much of the last few decades Uh, the movement that the geeta press was spearheading with the alliance that it built together of all the hindu groups in the mahasabha rss and so on the movement that it was spearheading had success within the culture but not within politics it was a cultural success but not a political success I, and i'm just wondering whether today that they've gained this enormous political success there is also a slight cultural downswing because of the dual forces of globalization and urbanization right while it may seem that okay the project has succeeded could it be said that actually culturally as we become more and more exposed to the globe as we are say incorporating hip hop in a film like gully boy or as more and more people are getting aspirational in different ways than they would earlier and as more and more of india is urbanizing which uh, uh, you know tends to put people uh, Uh, together, more squeezed together, and less likely to discriminate uh, because uh, they are part of those economic networks for self-interest. Um, and ag- again, I'm just completely speculating, and uh, I-, I think you'd be better. I, uh, I'm not very sure whether see all this has happened, but um, how do you kind of explain some of these people who also do? I'm I'm just giving an example of friend. I don't want to name him who's. Who's completely postmodern in his when it comes to his choice of music, or even some bit of literature, but extremely conservative. And I've asked him, uh, and he said that it coexists. For instance, how does one explain the grand success of Article Fifteen? Okay, and Kabir. Well, what is that movie? Kabir Singh. Kabir Singh. So I was telling this friend of mine. He said, "You know, both of them have made money. So what is happening to our society? Article fifteen also made money. It was it's a successful movie, which is very serious movie. Well, a lot of my Dalit activist friends are upset over other reasons, which is fine. Which one can argue? But as with. a mainstream, yeah, film, as a mainstream of- film, uh, it has done very well, and they, it almost coincided with Kabir Singh." Which again is supposed to be kind of a money spinner made some two hundred crores. So what is happening to our society? I don't know. We're becoming more cosmopolitan, we're global, as you said. But it's like um, what one of my another friend says that it's a NRI phenomena, which is now we see more here. You know, you want to make your money working for the MNCs, but when it comes to vote, you want to vote for a guy who is like socially conservative. God knows what he. So this is some bit of it is happening here. Otherwise, you know, let's just look at all the NRI crowd. You know, all of us have our NRI relatives who like. Completely vouching for completely conservative politics. They, if they had their way, Pakistan would not exist. Uh, they're, they're sitting in New York or sitting in London. It's very easy for them. It would spontaneously say. combust. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really don't know how this these things are happening to a society. We, we are becoming so culturally. This project, as you said, there is a downslide to it. There's a down. Maybe it will happen because it has to happen. Because in last five years we have seen nothing, and we have been seeing it even otherwise. But now, past five years have been very pronounced on your face. Like 
we have we are there you'll take it you have no choice you leave it as someone other day said that you know this um, this guardian article on turkish intellectuals of what they did so just simply said your time is over you know to that good old uh, now bad word called liberals similar thing is happening in india but for how long whether this will continue whether people will forget uh, their their jobs their other things and continue with the, to be part of this project and vote for a party which only talks of religion talks of segregation talks of hate i don't know sir what what you said is really thought provoking in terms of article 15 and kabir singh both doing well and it strikes me that it doesn't mean that in this large country with millions of people that entirely different audiences watch those two films i think there must be many people who watched both films and yeah. like them for different reasons and like them for different because reasons because people contain multiple I, I, it's yeah. completely fox pieces yet how is this both the movies doing well because i guess if i'm again thinking aloud and maybe this is simplistic but Kabir Singh might appeal to certain impulses that people have yeah. and article 15 may appeal to the more rational side of and obviously what people True. like you and me hope for is that the rationality the wins out in the long yeah. run yeah so i'll i'll end this episode by asking you a question i ask uh, many of my guests on True. whatever subject yeah. we're discussing that looking into the future and i normally say 10 years but in this case because you know your book is covered a century and all of that i'll give it a slightly longer span looking into the future over the next 30 years what gives you despair and what gives you hope about the state of indian society first the despair my despair is uh, because despair is that our institutions will be destroyed beyond redemption so badly and when i talk of institution i don't mean one university here one university there the larger fabric of the way the we supreme discuss court, the, the supreme court the rbi you know and the discourse the narrative and the, the institution the discourse uh, discourse for all time to come i think it's vitiated for long long time and I, it's not going to go away so easily you have poison uh, and and i talked to my daughter also who's 18 year old university going girl and she tells me things which is not at times it gives me great i mean it makes me very very despair but then i also see bookstores i see i meet people who who are worried i meet very young students again at the same time who who tell you that they don't approve if you go for litfest might not be the the exact um, answer to say because these are happening in very urban spaces these are children who brought up in a very different way but even in small towns i've been to few small towns also and i see there's some bit of um, in the long run i think the constitution to sum it up in the long run i think the constitution will be upheld we will and and the institutional like say for instance media uh this can't go on for long nobody will read you media also knows media has lost its credibility while serving one party a certain government they've lost the credibility so i and at the same time even the main, mainstream media has failed you have a parallel media which has given us hope which is and what will be without hope you know and we have seen societies around us uh, we have not suffered as much as pakistan has suffered or turkey is suffering or various other states 
So, and they've come out of it in various ways. They've fought. So I'm sure people will fight. This can't go on. This, this, this sarad of nationalism, this whole thing will not go on. And our kitchri is a resilient kitchri. Yeah, our kitchri is a resilient kitchri. It has to survive. That's the only way we can survive, you know, all of us. Akshay, I'm so honored that you uh, gave me so much of your time today. Thank you so much for coming. It was real pleasure, Amit, talking to you. I, I haven't had this kind of discussion in a long, long time. Thank you. Thanks. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, do head on over to your nearest bookstore online or offline and pick up a copy of Gita Press and the Making of Hindu India by Akshay Mukul. In this episode, we merely touch the surface. I have a few thousand words of notes. So it's a remarkable book with a lot of depth. Please pick it up. You can follow Akshay on Twitter at Akshay Mukul, one word, A-K-S-H-A-Y-A-M-U-K-U-L. You can follow me at Amit Varma, A-M-I-T-B-A-R-M-A. You can browse past episodes of The Scene and the Unseen at sceneunseen.in thinkpragati.com and ivmpodcast.com The Scene and the Unseen is supported by the Takshashila Institution an independent center for research in education and public policy. Takshashila offers 12-week courses in public policy, technology policy and strategic studies for both full-time students and working professionals. Visit takshashila.org.in for more details. Thank you for listening. Filter coffee is a fascinating beverage. You need to pick the right beans, blend them in the right proportion, roast them to perfection, and slow brew at the right temperature to get the perfect cup. Which is exactly like great conversations as well. You need to track down the most interesting minds, get them into their zone, and settle down for an unhurried, unscripted chat. And coffee for me is always, always, always best enjoyed with friends. I'm Karthik Nagarajan, and do share my table as I meet some of the most interesting people I know and sit them down for a strong cup of coffee and an even stronger conversation. Join me every Wednesday for a freshly brewed episode. This is not Frappe. This is the Filter Coffee Podcast. Hi, I'm Satyajit. Hi, I'm Racheta. We are from the Open Library Project and we host a podcast called Paperback. Paperback is a podcast where we engage with stalwarts and experts from various industries suggesting non-fiction titles that contributed to their journey in a big way. We've had guests like Anjali Rena, Dr. Marcus Rani, Dr. Swati Loda, Ambi Parmeswaran, Apurva Damani and many more on our show Paperback. Find new episodes every Wednesday on IVM Podcast app, website or wherever you listen to podcasts.